I'm so glad you've taken time out of your day to join us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. And by the way, you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. I really value your opinion, and it's so important to me, so core to who I am, that when I give you information, when I give you advice, when I give you guidance, that it's stuff you can actually put to work in your life. And if I'm fuzzy in the information I give, if I give advice that misses the mark, if you feel that I'm wrong on the facts, I need to hear that from you and set the record straight. And that's why we have Clark Stinks at Clark.com where you can go and post the things that you feel I'm coming up short on. And then weekly, our producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. What's up first, Krista? Well, thanks for playing that Clark Stinks sound effect. Uh, This post is about sound effects. I've been an avid listener for 10 years. I love the show and enjoy listening to it at a 1.4 speed. Ha ha. But do you always have to use the same sound effects? I understand this has been a Clark Stinks in the past and there may be limited options, but I remember a time, five years ago maybe, you played the sound of a guard dog barking to warn people about a scam. It must have been a one and only t- the one and only time. I haven't heard it since. If you're truly limited on sound effects, then insert your same old bull manure effect here and I'll know to let go of my desire to hear the guard dog bark once again. Semper Fi, Tim. Tim, thank you for your service as a United States Marine. I'm grateful to you for your service to our country. So we had a $5,500 machine for sound effects that croaked. I didn't want to buy a new one. And so producer Joel found an app we could load on an iPad. And so we took an old original iPad of mine and bought this app to put sound effects on that we paid like $25 for the app with my old thing, and I saved nearly $5,500. The problem with the iPad is we can play far fewer sound effects on it than we could when we had the $5,500 machine. But we should let the dog out more. Okay, a couple about TSA PreCheck and Global Entry. Clark is not stinky, but misinformed as I was. I thought that having Global Entry card guaranteed an automatic TSA PreCheck. On my last trip, my boarding pass did not show PreCheck. I went to the airline ticket counter to have that corrected. They double-checked, and all my information regarding my KTN was entered in their system. I was Known told, traveler number. Right. I was told that having Global Entry was not a guarantee for automatic PreCheck. I didn't believe them, so when I got the TSA agent, agent I reiterated that I had a global entry card and it was with me. The agent said it. This is not a guarantee of pre-check, although it almost always guarantees it. I was one of the unlucky ones that day that it did not cover, Corinne. All right, Corinne, uh, you were not given the full story at either the airline ticket counter or by the TSA employee. The way it works, whether you join the Trusted Traveler program, which is $17 a year, paid up front 85 bucks, or join Global Entry, 
$20 a year that covers immigration and pre-check, $100 paid up front, $20 a year, is that at random, for reasons I've never understood, you will not get pre-check even with your pre-check, your known traveler number in there. This happened, there were four of us traveling together, it happened to my uh, wife recently, where the other three of us got pre-check, but she was kicked out of pre-check for that flight, and I guess it's all part of the randomness of wanting to check up on you. One thing to uh, note is that the two programs are in the process of merging, and there will only be a single process people go through, not one or the other. I don't know how long that's going to take. I'm hoping that it means that everyone will have expedited immigration and expedited security. And another one. Some listeners may be able to take advantage of a government program that provides the same benefits of global entry at a lower cost. You can register for the Nexus program designed to facilitate routine travel between the U.S. and Canada. Nexus costs $50 for five years, which works out to $10 per year. All Nexus members can enjoy the benefits of global entry at no additional cost through using the kiosks for entry at at participating airports. And your Nexus number can be used as a known traveler number for TSA pre-check lanes at the airport. The downside of the Nexus card for some is that you have to be interviewed at a Nexus enrollment center, which are only located in states that border Canada. All right, and in addition to that, if you don't want to pay for any of that stuff for entering the United States, more and more uh, points of entry have mobile passport. They mentioned that too. Yep. Okay, which is a free app you can download on your Android or iPhone, and it allows you to go through not anything as quick as global entry where you just check yourself back in the country, but it is a quicker way for you to be able to enter the United States from a trip overseas. And then you can, I'll I'll give the airports, if you're on a cruise ship, it works at Port Everglades, and then in alphabetical order, it works in Atlanta, Boston, Baltimore, Denver, Dallas, Newark, Fort Lauderdale, Houston, Washington, Dallas, Houston Intercontinental Land Hobby, I should say, JFK, LA, Orlando, Miami, Minneapolis, Chicago, Phoenix, Raleigh, San Diego, Seattle, San Francisco, San Jose, Sacramento, and Tampa. Other airports to be added later, and it's a much quicker thing than filling out that piece of paper and waiting in the what can be sometimes multi-hour lines to enter immigration or be processed by immigration entering the United States. Clark, you're not stinky. You just can't know everything about everything. Oh, so true. I know nothing about popular culture. The other day, a caller asked if it was possible for anyone other than the account owner of a 529 plan to make contributions to an account. You told him only the owner could do so. Well, I have, from your advice, started three individual accounts for my grandchildren through the Utah-sponsored plan. And this organization provides the owner with a code that can be given to individuals that may be interested in making one-time or recurring additions to the account. It has been useful in situations where relatives and friends have made monetary gifts in lieu of physical presents for birthdays and the like. It's a wonderful program. Thanks for suggesting it. I appreciate that, and and that came up on the show about three, four weeks ago, that that is something now available in a majority of 529 plans that now 
others other than the owner of the account can contribute on behalf of the beneficiary. And it's depending on the state 529 plan you're in, the procedure is either rather simple or a little bit complicated to add money to a 529 plan you're not the owner of as uh, someone wanting to give birthday money or graduation money or whatever reason you want to add to a kid's college savings plan. You're missing a great way to save on college costs. Hi, Clark. We all love your show, including my five children. My eldest was especially glad to hear you mention the plan we have for her to get a college degree with little to no debt, live at home for the first two years, and attend community college. But you missed out on another opportunity to save a ton of money on college, CLEP exams. The CLEP program has been around for quite a while, and thousands of colleges and universities accept CLEP exams for full credit. College-level examination programs, when I was CLEP in, stands for. Yeah, when I was in college, I was able to easily get 12 credits for almost no money by getting discarded textbooks or finding them at the library, reading them, and taking the tests. I happen to take tests for the American history and U.S. government, but also so many more are available. This isn't just a great plan for every student. Not all people can learn easily from just a textbook, and not everyone does well at multiple choice exams. For those that do, however, this is a cheap way to earn credit and get those basic courses done quickly. By the way, if you ever want to ski in the largest ski resort in Idaho, send me a message and we'll give you free room and board. I bet your wife has some great stories about being married to such a kind, compassionate cheapskate. Lisa. (laughs) Lisa. My wife's an angel to be married to me. I'm high maintenance, she tells me. Anyway, um, in addition... My teenage daughter has sat for AP exams this week, advanced placement exams, that also have the ability to help you exempt from some of the courses you would normally have to take in college. But the college-level examination program is a great opportunity. Outrageous. Clark, love the advice you... clark Rageous. Love the advice you've given me through the years, but on a recent call you took, you really surprised me. The call came from a police officer with a scam alert. The call was normal enough until the caller stated that he messes with the scammers as a pastime. He stated that he tries to get as many scammers to send him packages. Whoa, what? Maybe he doesn't realize it. I know you do, Clark. But all those rogue packages are probably being paid by stolen credit cards and bank accounts. I was expecting you to advise him against that. Keep up the great work, and it's not really work if you enjoy it. David in Kentucky. David, thank you. And and my assumption was the police officer was baiting people to then be able to go after them for identity theft and credit card fraud and the rest. And that I implied in my own mind, and maybe it was, just as you described, just trying to mess with them without any intention of leading to a prosecution. I love your podcast. I always, I just always laugh when you say another what's known as. It usually precedes something that is common sense. The most recent one was when you said what's known as non-published fare, a non-published fare, when discussing airfares not published on the usual sites. I always think, gee, thanks for explaining that, Clark, because I wouldn't have understood that. For example, that a fair wasn't published for the public was secretly known in the industry as a non-published fair. Another favorite of mine is what's known as a card not present. Ha, 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 ha. Keep them coming, Clark. (laughs) Oh, I think we all have shorthand manners of speech. I just probably have a lot more than most people. And what are your 
favorites that I do repeatedly, Krista. That I'll have wish. to think about it. I'll okay. have to think about it. None, really. Oh, come on. Dear Clark, I was listening to you on my drive home from work and was rather interested in the topic you were talking about, but noticed I started to get rather tired. I was forced to switch on some music instead to keep me awake. Your voice sounded far too relaxing for too much of your show and was making me fall asleep. You should add more segments to the show with a bit more energy to keep those of us who work graveyard shifts awake on our drive home. On the plus side, even if I had fallen asleep listening to you, there was no one on the road and the EMTs would have gotten some sound financial advice. Hope you have a great day and thank you for all the help you provide people. Justin in Modesto, California. Justin, don't you get it? I am I am completely not something you could get addicted to like a prescription sleeping pill or something like that. I mean, I can I can put anybody to sleep. That's why I'm the dullest man in radio. I appreciate all your posts. And if there's something that is bugging you about what I say, how I say it, whatever it is, please go to ClarkStinks at Clark.com and let me have it. Jake joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jake. Hey, Clark. Jake, you have a question for me no one has ever asked me. Hit me with it. So um got married last October, um, and me and the wife have, you know, so far kind of kept our financials separate, but... You know, we discuss them periodically, be sure we're on the same page. And so I mentioned to her maybe getting a joint savings account. We're saving up for a down payment on a house. Um, and she went and found an, an app that's out there that is really, um, they sell themselves as an app that's for, you know, couples to save together and, and keep each other accountable. So I wanted to see if you had any experience with any apps like this and had any. I certainly do with this one. And I'll tell you. Don't do it because it is not an FDIC insured account. Okay. Um, what I would so recommend. I was thinking. Go ahead. Or so my thought was, we just get a, a joint high yield savings account through one of the uh, you know the ones you talk about. You took online. the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> because it's funny this this insurance company with their app is paying people only a third of the interest that you can earn in an online savings account. And you would be much better served just having that online account that you contribute to. Okay. And are there any other apps out there? Do you think just overall the, the savings, just a joint savings account and kind of, you know. I think the, I think the joint savings account that you agree you're going to fund so much each month or however you're going to do it is the right thing to do. And you have a specific goal, right? You want to buy a house. Correct. And you know how much money you're going to target as that goal. Yep. How much? Uh, so we're planning right now to have about 40000 And how long do you think it'll take you and what you both agree to contribute every month to get to that 40000 So actually, it's, uh, so we've already signed a contract on a townhome to be built. Um, okay. So that's going to be done September to November time frame. Um, and we're, I mean, we're individually, you know, you, you take, look at it and put it together. We're kind of there, but we're trying to save as much as possible. Um, just kind of leading up to that. That's fantastic. Okay. Well, that's great. So, so our plan is to take what the difference between our current low monthly rent payment is, take the difference every month and put that portion into a, uh, you know, what our mortgage is going to be and try to save that so we can kind of prepare ourselves, too, for a, a, a bit of an increase in payment. All right, that is, that is brilliant. That is a brilliant plan, well thought out. 
and I would just execute it with one of the online accounts, you know, that are now paying, if you look through the list, 1.75 to 2%. Okay. And just do one of those and build that money up. And I love the way the two of you have methodically planned this, have the funds, and are already preparing in advance for the lifestyle you can support at the mortgage payment you're going to have. And that's something that is great teaching for other couples as well. So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to keep more of what you make. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. I have been so frustrated over the years about the fact that you and I can't be true consumers of medical services in the United States. And it is something that is... A real problem because until we have what's known as transparency with medical care in the United States, we aren't going to be able to make good choices as consumers. And no, price is not everything, just as it's not with anything else. But the way medicine works is you go in and services are delivered wherever, however, and you have no idea what it's going to cost, what's going to come out of your pocket, whatever is involved with it, till after you have consumed the service. How would you feel if every time you bought a car, every time you ate a meal, every time you rode on an airplane, every time you did anything you do in your daily life, You had no idea what you were going to have to pay for it till after you were already committed to it or had already used the product or service. It is ridiculous. But the medical industry in the United States doesn't want you to know because they don't want you to be able to comparison shop and choose what you're going to do. I want to give an example. There was a drugstore that had one of those uh, clinics in them with a nurse practitioner that we would go to when something would be wrong with one of our kids. And it seemed like when we were on vacation, it was always one of our kids would have something happen and we'd be at the clinic at the drugstore. And everything was just a simple price. You'd go in, and they had a big computer screen that showed the prices for everything they did there. All on one screen. You could see it. And that was the price. Well, the drugstore operator decided not to run their own clinic there anymore with their subsidiary, and they leased the space to a hospital to operate the clinic as a way of feeding patients into the hospitals. That's why they do this. And it went from being this very simple price thing to no information at all about price, just how you made uh, put yourself on the list to be seen by somebody. I mean, that is wrong, 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 wrong. And there's a guy who used to be in the Congress who was always looked at as kind of a 
gripey guy. He was a U.S. senator for a while named uh, Tom Coburn. And kind of grouchy as a senator, but he always said what he thought. And he wrote an item in an editorial about the fact that Colorado is working on a bill through the legislature called the Comprehensive Healthcare Billing Transparency Act, which would force all medical providers to publish prices. And this is something that should not be something we're just trying to do in one state. This should be part of how medicine works in the United States. Why can't I know that if I go one place versus another, I'll save so much money? Here's an example. Do you know that often you can go to a freestanding MRI clinic and have an MRI done for less than what your copay is if you do it another place or at a hospital? Did you know that? How would you know that unless somebody told you that? Because the prices aren't published because the hospitals don't want you to know that a freestanding place might charge $300 for something the hospital is charging $4,400 for. And this is true with everything involved with medicine. So, Senator... I may have thought you were very gripey, but I got to tell you, you are completely right on this. And this needs to be the way it's done is the law of the land. Because it's so logical, it makes so much sense, it should be done. And you know, the result of it is costs will drop, which is why people in the medical industry don't want price disclosure because they don't want prices to go down. Denise is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Denise. Hi, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call. Certainly. How did I do trying to be gripey like the former senator there? Was I being grouchy and gripey there? No, you you weren't being nearly gripey enough. Okay, I'll try to do better. (laughs) So my question is, I had used an email subscription management service that was free and it worked for um, a couple of years for me and then recently the the terms and conditions came up and it looked a lot different than it did before. Um, Are you familiar with this service? I sure am. In fact, I've talked about Unroll Me on the air. Okay. And Unroll Me, unroll.me gives people the ability to automatically be Un, un enrolled <laughs> how do we say that to no longer be enrolled in all kinds of un, emails yeah, un, and all that that come to you right right so, so i i didn't know because it looked so different than it did when i first signed up for it i wondered what they're hiding in there and it was a really long one so i thought i better check with you before i tried to so the issue that again. came up that CNBC saw was that unroll.me was taking your information and they were selling your user data. And that's exactly what you would be concerned about. Okay. And the CEO in a quote last year said that 
He found it heartbreaking to see that some of our users were upset to learn about how we monetize our free service. So, okay. <laughs> so now the the new terms of service are what you saw is much clearer about what they're doing. And my feeling about anything like this is that if somebody's going to offer a free service, they're going to profit some way. And often it is trading on our info. So I'm a big believer in the free market that they should say straight out, this is how we offer this for free. And if you'd rather pay for it and not have us share any of your information, you can pay us $5 for the service or whatever it would be, whatever they make from you. You know, this question's come up again and again with a service I recommend called Credit Karma. You ever heard me talk about Credit Karma? Oh, yes. I use Credit Karma all the time. All right. So it's completely free, and they give you a huge bundle of things. How do they make their money? I don't know. They, they know so much about you from the information they're putting together about you that you then can use to your credit scores, your reports, uh, know if there's anybody trying to use your data, have them do your taxes for you for free, all that. But have you ever noticed that when you're on Credit Karma, they say, you know, we could tell you that with your credit profile, this might be a great credit card for you. I see that all the time. Yeah. So they're making their money by taking what they've compiled about you, knowing what you're likely to get approved for, and then recommending you for things. Okay. So with any of these free services, the trade-off is your personal information is what allows them to, as, as they call it, at unroll.me, monetize your value, and that's how they can give it to you for nothing. Okay, so it's still kind of safe because I'm already sold and bought and sold every day, you know, all, whatever the data breaches that are here and what I'm... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, this is a hard one, and that's why I've been uh, running at the mouth about how excited I am about the new European system where companies in simple English have to disclose terms and conditions and have to tell you how they use your information. And we should have the same exact thing in the United States, that companies should not be able to hide behind 50,000-word terms of service like PayPal does. Right. Okay. I'm glad you asked the question, though, because it is something that, you really got to wonder with any of these freebies, how are they profiting and what does it cost you and me, even if it is free? Vicki is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Vicki. Hello. How's it going? Good. Pretty good. Well, how can I make your day fantastic instead of pretty good? (laughs) Well, answering my question. All right. um, so I was wanting your opinion about goodwill, sending a goodwill letter to creditors, because um, I've been reading online about it, and I've seen a lot more success stories than stories that, you know, didn't really work out well for them. And Explain to your fellow to- listener what a goodwill letter is. Okay. Well, from my understanding, if you're aware that like you missed a payment and it's showing on your credit report 
Um, it's just a letter that you send to the creditor asking them to remove it. It's not filing it or like filing a dispute because you know that there is no error. You're aware right. of the mistake that you made. Um, so. Actually, you people have more success than you might imagine, but not. It's almost like a 50-50 shot. But I find that okay. it works better to call a credit card company than it is to write them. Okay. Because when um, you write them, I don't know that it's really going to have any attention paid to it. But if you call and you talk to somebody at Customer No Service, uh, often they'll waive a late fee. And depending on the circumstances, they may or may not, and this would be a less than 50-50, remove okay. uh, late pay from your credit. But okay. be polite and um, be persistent. And it, a lot depends on how valuable you've been to them, how long you've been with them. If you have historically a very good payment record, you have more chance of being successful with it, Vicki. So use that sweet voice of yours, call them up, and see what you can make happen. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Dale is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dale. Hello. Dale, you are a, a fellow entrepreneur, are you not? I am. How long have you been an entrepreneur? Uh, 42 years. I love that, because I'm a lifelong entrepreneur myself. Yeah, I've uh, been married to my wife for about 10 years, and she works with me. And uh, that leads to my questions. Which is? Um, well, unfortunately, my son was killed last year. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm so his, sorry. His birthday's in two weeks, so it's getting kind of tough. But oh, I'm really sorry. No parent should outlive a child. I agree. Um, and anyhow, we're going to be getting a small settlement because of the wrongful death. Um, there was three of them in the car, so it's got to be split up so many ways, and then with my ex-wife and then me. And I was wondering, my wife has about a third of her 30-year mortgage left on the house, and I've never saved a penny because I never saw an end to the money coming until around 08 when the bottom fell out. Sure. And we struggled for a while, and we got back, and we're working hard again. And I need to know, since I've never invested in any kind of retirement or anything, would it be best to pay off the mortgage or to invest in some sort of retirement or investment account? That is a, a great question. So. Could you give me kind of a general ballpark how much money you think you're going to receive? Yeah, it's not much. Uh, around 30000 
Okay. And do you know if any of that is going to be taxable? It is not. Okay. So I've already checked. Thirty thousand dollars is uh, is a good amount of money for you as a self-employed individual. You could put that money into uh, various retirement accounts that are available to you as a self-employed individual. There's one called a SEP that's very easy to set up that depending on how profitable your business is, you could put aside uh, far more than the 30000 a year. You can put into the mid-50s in a single year. So you could sweep all the money into a retirement account or you could throw the 30 against the mortgage. How much is left on her mortgage? I'm really not sure, but it's less than the 30. So you could pay off the mortgage and put the remainder into a SEP account and put some money aside for retirement. It'll okay, reduce current tax for your business. You also could, how old are each of you? I'm, I just turned 60 and my wife is 56. All right, so both of you could do, uh, here's another idea. I like this one actually better. You could each do a Roth IRA for $6,500 because of your age, you could do $6,500. You could put uh, up to $13,000 then right away in one year in a Roth IRA, which is a retirement account that's not taxed. The money grows Uh tax-free and spent tax-free when you both do choose to retire. And then uh, you could take, the way you could do it, you could net out, pay off the mortgage, and then you know your mortgage debt-free. That pressure's gone when you decide to retire. Right. And then you can start this process with a kickstart of whatever money's left over, do up to the 6500 each into the Roth for this year. And then since you're not going to have a mortgage anymore, next year just keep putting money that would have gone into the mortgage payment into the Roth IRA. Oh, okay. And keep building Roth money in the remaining years that you're going to work till retirement. Okay, I see. That helps a lot because I really don't know anything about investments. All right, I'm going to make it ultra easy for you then. If you go to Clark.com and look at my investment guide, I explain more how the Roths work, which companies are my favorite for you to do the Roth with, and then what investment I'd put the money into in the Roth. So okay. I've made it like almost like paint by numbers. Easy, easy, easy. Nice. <laughs> and best to both of you. And again, I want to express my sympathies to you on your loss of your son last year. Thank you so much. Best Thank to you. you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center, and you can get that free off-the-air advice.